Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We're excited that you are here. Uh, Now, this is a Bible study that happens most every Wednesday if it's somebody's giving this to you for the first time, or maybe you were searching the internet and, and our podcast, and you, you've come upon this Bible study. It's a, It started foundationally as a men's Bible study. It now has kind of grown into just a Bible study. But here in the room, uh, it is men getting together once a week. We have been doing this for eight years now here in this room. And um, uh, coming to you from uh, a radio studio, uh, uh, the Rick and Bubba Show. You may or may not be familiar with that. I'm Rick. I'm the co-host of that show and also director of themanchurch.com. We launched uh, themanchurch.com in uh, March 1, 2020. Uh, we have never existed outside of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, but anyway, we uh, we are rolling along. Uh, we haven't even uh, completed our second year, but we are now uh, well over 300 churches uh, all over the country and around the world. Uh, that have implemented the men's discipleship strategy. So I'm going to get started. We normally do this. I want to give you just a little bit of business to be aware of some things that are going on where you might want to go out and find a man church somewhere near you or one of our conferences coming up. Um, If you go to themanchurch.com and you click on events, you'll see the different events that we offer. But you'll also see a button you can click on and find where is a man church, somewhere I'd like to go to one. The man church is simply a service uh, or a gathering of men as uh, the, the high challenge will be there, and then the men roll out of those services uh, or those gatherings into a curriculum that we also provide. So it's high equipping and high challenge uh, that, that never stops. And we have uh, our third 40-week curriculum will be coming out in 2022. We have two of them now, and you can pick uh, either one you would like by going to themanchurch.com, and if you need our help, we'll help you too. Here's some Man Church uh, things going on that you could attend. Uh, this Sunday night, I'm going to Mangum, Louisiana. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. They've been doing the men's discipleship strategy. They're approaching the end of the first 40-week curriculum. I'll be there to kind of transition them from the first curriculum into the second curriculum uh, and looking forward to spending time there. Uh, Selfishly, I know I'm going to eat well. I'm going to Louisiana. It's going to be great. So looking forward to being with those men on October the 24th. That's uh, this coming Sunday night. It's uh, no cost that you can attend. Scott Dawson. Uh, October the 28th, he'll be continuing with Westview, Westview Baptist Church in Op, Alabama. They're going through the men's discipleship strategy. This is their next uh, man church, and Scott Dawson will be there. Uh, I'm excited to be going to High Point, North Carolina. Uh, they're going to be doing a full-blown man church conference. Um, I'll be speaking on Friday night and on Saturday morning. Uh, Green Street Baptist Church sponsoring this. They're in High Point, North Carolina. You can get uh, your ticket to that. They also are going to be providing uh, some meals. Uh, by going to themanchurch.com and looking at events. Uh, also, we've got another man church coming up on November the 7th. Uh, that's First Baptist Church in Colquitt, Georgia. Mark Garnett from the man church team will be there. They're, they're doing the men's discipleship strategy. So Colquitt, Georgia, Mark Garnett's coming to see you on November the 7th. November the 11th, Scott Dawson, Journey Church, Laurel, Mississippi. They're continuing to go through the strategy. This is their next gathering. Getting great feedback from them as well. And then November the 14th, I'll be kicking off the Man Church Discipleship Strategy in Center, Alabama at Pine Grove Baptist Church on November the 14th. 
Uh, Helmsy will be in Gunnersville on November the 14th. Uh, Michael Helms uh, from the Rick and Bubba Show, he'll be speaking to Gunnersville First United Methodist Church. They're starting the men's discipleship strategy. And then on the 17th of November, Helmsy will also be at New Life Chapel in Madison, Alabama. They, too, are doing the men's discipleship strategy. So there's man churches that you can go attend and find or, or conferences. Now, for the ladies, and I know y'all pick into this and listen to this. We know you're here. If you want to go see Sherry, my wife Sherry is speaking at a women's event, Calvary Baptist Church, on November the 6th in Union City, Tennessee. So Union City, Tennessee, Calvary Baptist, Sherry is coming to see you on November the 6th. You can go to two places to find this information. If, it, if it's involving only the men's ministry, themanchurch.com. If it's involving my wife and I doing ministry together or her doing women's ministry, go to burgessministries.com and check events. Are y'all ready to dive into today's Bible study? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Today, I know, Lord, today, this is one of those chapters of your word this, that Paul's writing about a topic uh, that in today's society, especially in the country that we live, uh, we have completely turned away from this. And once again, we think we know better than you do. But I pray today uh, that I do not misrepresent you. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that all I do is point people to you, to your standard, and exactly what you say. And may, may, may the adversary have no victory today by creating something that isn't here. And that, of course, is inequality. Uh, from, from the pits of hell uh, is any narrative that says that you think that men and women are not equal in value. That is not what you said. Now, you certainly have said that you created them male and female, and they are equally of equal value, but they are distinctly different. And today we will talk about your standard for men and women, not the world's. And I pray that, that the misunderstanding of what you're saying will not be allowed. And maybe today there's people that even had a pushback on this, even in Scripture, even to the Apostle Paul, that today they finally understand it. And I say that for men and women. Uh, and help us to unpack this correctly today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, there's your setup. So here it is, 1 Corinthians 11. Oh, oh my, here we go. So Paul, as you know, when we've been walking through this uh, letter to the church at Corinth, if you're new to the Bible study, uh, this, this is a letter that Paul has written, and he spent the first five chapters talking about things that he sees going on in the church that he didn't like. Uh, you know, Corinth was a, a sin city. Uh, it was the Las Vegas of its day. Uh, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Uh, and, and Paul uh, planted a church in this uh, city, and, and he is their spiritual father. And he, of course, has sent Apollos there. We, think, we certainly think that um, Barnabas may have gone there. We, we know that Timothy has been there. We, we, we know that Peter ha has been there. And, and there's been some discussion about all the different factions and divisions and open sin in the church. Because remember uh, the analogy of the church being uh, a boat that is placed in, in water, the water being the sin and the fallen creation, and the church floats with no problem whatsoever unless, unless the water begins to come into the boat. And, and the analogy of the water would be sin, uh, water being used as an analogy for sin. If sin begins to get inside the church, then that's when the church begins to fail because instead of the church influencing the culture in which it has been placed, the culture begins to influence the church. The church is to influence culture. The church is not uh, to allow culture to influence it. And so once again, Paul's going to say, I see some things. Now he's going to start out and be complimentary because he's a good teacher. 
He's going to pat him on the back a little bit in the first, but he's not going to do it long, about two verses. And then he's going to dive into what he doesn't like and what, and what, what he's seeing because there's some confusion. So he has some negative things that he wants to cover because remember, first five chapter, this is what's on Paul's mind from six on. These are questions that they've specifically asked him. And now he's answering these questions. And, and what we need to do is think about when we're hearing these answers that come from Paul, basically uh, not from Paul, but literally from the Holy Spirit, that we are listening to how this applies to the church today. Okay, Rem These are letters written to people who already claim to be redeemed. Can lost people benefit from them? Of course. But we're, the, those of us that are already part of the church, we need to listen because there's correction going on. Uh, and, uh, and if we don't get it right, then we're not going to draw the loss to the church in the right way anyway. We're going to be drawing them to something that's not right. So Paul's correcting some of this, and he's going to do that. So here's what he says in first, uh, verses 1 and 2. Little, he's going he's to compliment uh, a little bit. First of all, he's told them, uh, remember, to be imitators of me, talking about himself. And he says, but only as I am of Christ. And then in verse 2, he says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. So let me first of all compliment you uh, that uh, you have um, put me in my proper place of honor. You have continued to remember me. You've continued to pray for me. And, and some of the way that we handle church tradition, you were doing it the way that I told you to do it. And, and so I want to compliment you on that. But then here comes, as, as my uh, parents used to teach me, the smelly subject that starts with the word but. Anytime you hear the word but, we're going to transition, and, and here it comes. They're, they're the, next, he's going to start talking about the problems. He appreciated that they were uh, holding him in a place of honor. Uh, they had been faithful to keep the teachings that had been given them. But then next, he said, I'm going to address some problems with disorder in the public meetings. Now, this is important. He's specifically talking about when the church gathers, there's things going on when we gather, or you're gathering at the church at Corinth, that are wrong. And I'm going to correct them today. And, and, and there was disorder in the church. Remember this. The God that we serve is a God of order. He has an order. He's a God of order. And wherever we see chaos or disorder, we don't see God. We either see the fallen state of, of human beings or we see the adversary uh, himself or the demonic forces. That is, God is never in disorder and he is a God of order. So he's going to talk about a couple of things. One of the first things he's going to talk about, which is one of the most controversial and it's often misunderstood and it causes all kinds of factions and arguments, which is not what it was intended to do. What we're going to say today was intended to clarify so there wouldn't be disorder and argument. But, of course, us in our fallen state, we read these scriptures, and then it starts arguments, uh, which is the opposite of what this was supposed to accomplish. So let's not let that happen. Some of the women in the church, they were taking this newfound freedom, and there was a freedom. The way women were treated in the old Jewish synagogue is nothing like they were being treated in the new church, which is another uh, false accusation against the Christian church that somehow it demeans women. Now, the Christian church delivered women who were being demeaned in the synagogues. Okay, women had no standing in, in the, the Jewish culture and in the synagogue at all. They do have a standing in the, new, in the new covenant, in the new church. But some of the women, like Paul warned us in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 6, which he also wrote from Corinth, is that we cannot take the freedom and abuse it. 
you have been freed from sin, you have not been freed to sin. And so what he's saying is, yes, these women have a newfound freedom that they didn't have in the synagogue, but now they're taking it and they're abusing it in the church. You're free, but you're not free to do this. Everybody okay? So, so, and, and so they're assuming more freedom than they really had, and this was creating disorder. And he also, we may not get to this today because the, minute, the man and woman thing may take up all of our time, but if it doesn't, either today or next week, he also is very upset by what's going on with the Lord's Supper. Uh, there's been disorder in the Lord's Supper, and he's not happy about that. We're going to get to that too. And, and then you'll see that he'll get on even as we get into chapter 14. Paul also wants to clarify the church of Corinth was very spiritually gifted, but there was also some abuse of their spiritual gifts and disorder with that that we'll get to before we're done with the study. Okay, So let's, uh, let's, let's go to, chat, uh, to verse 3 through 16, and you'll see kind of what he's talking about, and I'll go back and kind of unpack it. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, so underline that, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. <gasps> so, so here you go. You start stepping into this first thing where people start pushing back. All Paul is establishing is God has created order. There's nothing in this that is talking about inequality. He's just saying there's, there, there is an order of the way God designed things because, uh, as Adrian Rogers said, beautiful, anything that has two heads is a monster. Okay. So and, and so what he's saying is, let, let me lay this out for you. I want you to understand that Christ, you know, you, you said there, there was order even in the Trinity, the triune God. What, what did Christ say? He was equal with the Father, but he was under the authority of the Father. Everybody with me? I'm here to fulfill my Father's will. That doesn't mean that Jesus is not equal to the Father because we serve a triune God. They, they were, they're equal, but, the, but, but they're distinct. And, of course, he says, I am under the authority of the Father. The Father had headship over the Son and the Holy Spirit, but they're equal. So first of all, we know that, that, that God the Father has headship over Christ. Christ has headship over every male. So the male is under the authority of Christ, and we'll get to how that was shown in, in the church and the culture of this day. And then he says, so what you need to understand as a, as a man, remember what he said in verse 1 of 11, okay? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So how does a male properly lead in the church and in the home as long as he's under the authority of Christ? So he says, so the, the Christ is the head of every man, and the head of every wife is her husband, and, and the head of Christ is God. And he, he just did it in reverse order than I did it. All right, so hang on to that. Everybody with me? Here's how God created. The father had headship over the son. The son had headship over a man, and the man has headship over the woman. This is not talking about inequality. This is talking about order, okay? And, uh, and sadly, um, m most men and women never get this right because uh, they don't get the first step right, and that's being under the authority of Christ. Verse 4, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife or woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her, let her cover her head. For a man ought not cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. 
And then, then look at nine. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And, and he says, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. When I get to because of the angels, we're going to go on a wild ride. And it's going to be great. I can't wait. All right, so let's, so let's get to it so we can be, uh, be smart with our, time, with our time. All right, so when we, when we start out after he has this order, what is he talking about but every, uh, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head? So in the traditions of, of, of the church at Corinth and of these Christian churches that were in these pagan um, uh, uh, societies, the way that they, 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 they walked into the church of the Christian church, which was different than the synagogue. Remember, this is the church of the new covenant. In the synagogue, a man covered his head. Okay, and, and, and so the Christian church is saying, no, no, you uncover your head now. Because uncovering your head is to show as a man walks in this head uncovered, I'm under the authority of Christ. It was symbolic that he was under the authority of Christ. And a woman in this culture covered her head to show that she was under the authority of her husband. Now, what was different, he's not saying that a woman should not stand up and, and pray and prophesy in the church. He's not saying that. He just says she shouldn't stand up with her head uncovered because that is defiant and showing that she's not under the authority of anybody. And he says, so for her to do that is sinful. That is not the way you stand up in the church in order as a woman and pray and prophesy. So first of all, is it true that there were women who, who, who had the gift of prophecy? And that's yes. Uh, we saw this. Uh, we, saw, uh, we know that uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they worked together as husband and wife. We know they still had the order that we're supposed to. We know that there were, there were uh, many women that were involved in, uh, in Paul's uh, ministry in, in the early church, and they, they all certainly were able to speak and able to prophesy and able to pray publicly. But what Paul is talking about here is not that a woman is not equal to a man. She's saying, he's saying this is not the proper order. Now, I'm going to get into some other things you may not have known that's going to make this make a lot more sense. It certainly did uh, for me. So understand that a woman was to have her head covered and a man was to not have his head covered. If, if either one of them didn't do that right, they were not presenting themselves correctly publicly in the gathering of the church. Everybody with me? All right, so we'll, we'll continue to move on. So there, there's certain reasons that God wants this kind of order in the church, and, and this is, there's nothing misogynist about this at all, okay? So when Paul says, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short, but since it's disgraceful, for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Why is he saying that? Well, see, again, you got to know the culture and, and how we apply it to this. In those days, the temple prostitutes wore short hair. In those days, the temple prostitutes would shave their head. So what he's saying is, if you have that presentation, ladies of the church, you're going to make people think you're a prostitute. This is inappropriate uh, presentation for the church. Now you say, well, now today are women supposed to have their head covered when they come into the, uh, to the church of the modern-day New Testament church in America? No. But what he is saying, <laughs> to be clear, what he is saying and how we would apply this to today, if you're going to stand up there on the praise team, are you going to stand up and pray in this church? Are you have something you're going to say in the church as a woman? Do not be dressed in a way that draws to your sexuality. Now that's what he is saying. And, and, and I think we can all agree 
There's a lot of women that I wish would apply this to their lives, and the way they present themselves in the congregation is not holy. It is overly sexual, and the reason why Paul says not to do this, and he's going to talk about this with their hair too, because a woman's hair was beautiful and long and distracting, because this is one of the things that the women of this culture used uh, to adorn, to show themselves was the beauty of their long flowing hair. So he said, I want you to cover that up because that takes men's eyes off of God and it puts it on your hair and it puts it on your looks and you're being a distraction to the men of the church by the presentation of yourself as a woman of God. Now that is absolutely what he's saying. Now that has nothing to do with inequality. That has to do with how this a woman should present herself and it's talking about how a man should present himself when, that, when we come into the public congregation. So if you're coming into church with a skirt up to your rear end and you're up there in the praise team and there's not, not a whole lot left to our imagination when it comes to how much leg we're seeing or how low cut your dress is or how you're drawing attention to your body and to your figure and to yourself, you should, be, you should take that off you and it, you ought to be up there in a way that glorifies God that you don't become a distraction. Now he's absolutely saying that. And if you've got a problem with that, then you've got to take that up with God. Because this is Paul saying there's a way for women and men to present themselves in, in, in church. And in this culture, it, it, it was about if a woman didn't cover her hair, was saying, I don't have to cover my hair. I'm free. I don't have to cover it anymore. I can cut my hair any way I want to. And Paul says, no, you can't. You ain't that free. Don't present yourself like a prostitute. Don't, don't come to the church like you're a temple prostitute and make people think that's what you are. So that is what he's talking about. He's not saying that women can't pray. He's not saying that women can't prophesy. He's saying, when you do it, be sure you're dressed appropriately. Everybody with me? And then he goes on to talk about, uh, about a man not covering his head since he is the image and glory of God. Now, what does that mean? What he's saying is, don't forget that, that man, even in our fallen state, that a male was created in the image of God. Now, were men and women created in the image of God? Yes, because woman was made from man. But what he's saying is the first thing God put on this earth was a male, and he said, let's create this man in our image so a man should understand that when you're walking around, the way you were created, you're representing God. So you should not present yourself in any way that you're not under the authority of God, that you're not under the authority of Christ. And, and for you to cover your head is actually you going back to the old covenant. You uncover your head under the new covenant because now Jesus has come. He has fulfilled all righteousness. And Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth. And now every man is under the authority of Christ. And every woman is under the authority of her husband as long as he's under the authority of Christ. Do you see that? But, but this is not about inequality. It's about presentation and presenting ourselves appropriately. He says, for man was not made from woman. Now follow this. That means back to the creation who was created first. But woman from man, which we know that. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why the wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Mm. Because of the angels. Well, here we go. All right, so what, what in the world is Paul talking about because of the angels? Watch out. Don't get things out of order and don't have a mis misrepresentation because of the angels. All right, so this brings us back to God as a God of order. And that reaches back to his own nature. He insists on order in the universe, and, and, and this is something that, that, that God has laid out clearly. 
He says, it, it, look, any, anybody who defies God's order leads to a breakdown and chaos, just like I said. He said, every single man has to answer for his actions to Christ. Every single man. We all, I had this happen in my office yesterday, and praise God, a man repented and gave his life to Christ, and this was the turning point for him. You are sinning against Christ. You're not sinning against people. You're sinning against Christ. And that's what led to the Holy Spirit convicting him and him becoming uh, and repenting. And it was a beautiful thing to see. It was a hard thing to have to go through, but it was beautiful when we, we have to remember that ultimately we answer to Christ. By the same token, a woman always answers to her husband. Now, this does not apply male superiority again. This is not inequality, nor does it mean that women are inferior to, inferior to men. This is not about that at all. It simply states to be a fact that in respective roles in society, in the home and in the church, this is, hear me loud and clear, not man's ordained order, not culture's ordained order. This is God's ordained order and state of affairs, and no amount of argument, complaining, I don't like that, is going to change it. Everybody hear me on that? This is God's ordained order. And if you don't like it, and you can't, and, and you're making it something it's not. Then you got a problem with what God said. All attempts to defy that is going to just lead to chaos. So let's get that right. There is a headship that we see in the Trinity that is replicated in the home, that is replicated in the church, and there is an order of authority. This has nothing to do with inequality. Men and women are equal, but they are distinctly different. They are not same. They're not the same. They're not interchangeable. Even in leadership roles, they're not interchangeable. So what is he talking about to be sure you keep this order and women don't abuse this new freedom because of the angels? Really, really cool. So when God made man, he made him to be ruled from his head. When he made woman, he made her to be ruled from her heart. Now, does that mean that there's no men who, who sometimes even have more feelings than some women. In individuals, you find different things. But in general, God's design was a man will be ruled from his head. He'll, he'll, be, he'll, be thought, he'll be thinking from his head, and women will be ruled from emotions and from their heart. Men and women are equal. When you see this, if you are married, you, you do see this to be true. It says, so we all know some men can feel far more deeply than some women. Just the same, the basic fact remains. Men tend to be ruled from their head, and women from their heart. Now remember what he's talking about when he says the angels. There's been a lot of speculation about this. But, he's, but, but John Phillips says in his commentary, and Waresby seems to agree, that, um, that from the beginning sin was introduced into this planet by what? An angelic being of the highest rank. Satan was an angel, and an angel came in to what? Disrupt the ordained order. You stay with me. He says, so if a woman decides she's not going to do what the church requires of keeping order, this disorder is going to open up this church body to the angels who are watching. Some of them fallen, some of them not, but they're watching what's going on. And he says this, when Satan did the, what he did in temptation, he took God's order First of all, what did he do? He directed temptation to, to Eve's head, 
meaning because God had designed her to, to receive this from her husband. Of course, Adam had been told what tree they could eat from and, and what all they could do. You never see in Scripture that Eve was ever told this. She was supposed to be taught this by Adam. So here comes Satan, the fallen angel, in, and she goes over, over to Eve and begins to now reverse this. God didn't, didn't teach her to think from, from, from things through, through this you know, logic, knowledgeable, all that. Normally, you know, the woman was designed to be more loving, to be, you know, you'll see that when, when children start coming to have that maternal instinct. And what Satan did is he reversed God's order and he tempted Eve through head knowledge and engaged her in an intellectual discussion as to whether or not it was right to do something God said was wrong. He starts saying what? Is this what God really said? And so they, they take on this intellectual, intellectual discussion and her attempts to fend it off were clunky and clumsy. Three times she misquoted the two verses which for her constituted the entire word of God. That's all she'd had. And she got that supposedly from her husband, and she's not remembering it right. She's adding things that God never said, uh, which, you know, Adam should be held accountable for that as well, which was her sole defense. So he raised in her mind, not in her emotions, a doubt about God's word, and it followed up with a, with a denial, and of course ended up with delusion. Then what happens, once she falls... Then, then Satan reverses his tactics, and he tempts Adam, what? By playing to his heart and his love for his wife. So now he goes in, and he turns this thing around, and you see Adam giving in to her because he loved her. He listened to her. He looked at her. And, and, and then, of course, she was able to get him, deceive him, because she had been deceived uh, by, by Satan. And what you saw is that the fall of Eve was ultimately contributed to who? Adam. Because what happened? The headship was lost. So now what Satan said, I'm going to go to the woman, and I'm going to give her the authority to make this decision, and I'm going to talk to her, and I'm going to confuse her, then she will use her influence over the man who then has left his headship, and I'm going to turn this thing upside down, and for the rest of time, and my wife will tell you this, she said this loud and clear, in the fallen state, a woman always wants to be in charge. And she says, in my fallen state, I fight that all the time because, because that's part of my sin nature now. I want to be in charge. I want, I want to usurp my husband's authority. I want to usurp his headship, and I want to take it. Now, did my wife and I make our decisions as equal under the authority of Christ and both redeemed? And is there very many times in our 25 years of marriage where she had to say, we can't, we're at an impasse, you're going to have to make this decision? Yes, it's happened, but it didn't happen a lot. Because normally we, are, we agree and we work on it together, and, and, and that never has to happen. But there is a spiritual headship that has been placed on me by Christ from heaven. And, and so what happens is what, what Paul is saying here is the angels were witnessing this, this, this complete downfall of mankind. So let me tell you something. If y'all decide y'all want to do church another way, keep in mind if you take this headship, and you reverse it, and you get it out of whack, you start putting women in positions that they were never supposed to be, and you start putting men in positions they were never supposed to be, let me tell you who's watching. The angels. And they're going to turn this place upside down. You're going you're to let this in. Remember, remember the whole problem he's talking about is don't let sin come into this church. And he says one of the ways that sin is going to, sin is going to enter this church is through the disorder that is going to take place. That's what he means because of the angels. 
Look at 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, meaning certainly men and women can live uh, on their own and under their own authority if, if they're not in marriage. He's not saying that everybody has to be married. But he says, for as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God, which is a really cool thing. He says, look, it's true that a, a male was created first and that a woman was made from that man, but once the, the be fruitful and multiply started, only in God's perfect design trying to redeem even the fallen state, he comes right back around and who starts producing males? Women. So a woman came from a man, but once they come together and they produce offspring, now men are coming from women. So what he said is, now that ushers everybody back into the same standing. So now both man and woman are equal under the authority of God. It started out, I made the man first, then I took a woman from a man, but going forward, I'm taking men out of a woman. So, so that, that they're both equally now part of God creating the rest of the human, human race. Everybody with me on that? So, uh, so that, that's that equality. So he, he says in 13, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? He's saying, if you, if that, you, you can judge that for yourself, 14, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? My dad underlined this verse. This was the one verse he taught me. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So here's what he's saying. Let me ask you guys something. If a woman stands up in the church and you decide she can stand up dressed any way she wants to, and you want to make that decision, are you telling me you won't be distracted by that? I mean, you expect me to believe that? Because in this day, we're talking about when he talks about her hair, you might as well say her beauty, her, her presentation. Because a woman walking through the streets of the culture then, if she had her long hair out and they wore their hair long and they wore it beautiful and they had all the scents in it, and what they used to get men to look at them a lot of times really revolved around how beautiful their hair was. And what he is saying is, now some of you I know are pushing back on, on a man should not have long hair. I've actually looked at this before. I do think sometimes this presentation that we have that Jesus Christ had long hair, I'm not sure that's accurate. I mean, he wasn't a Nazarite. Uh, I mean, the, the Nazarites had long hair because they made, they made a covenant with the Lord. They wouldn't have alcohol. Uh, they wouldn't eat uh, meat. Uh, they would not cut their hair. Jesus wasn't a Nazarite. We know that Jesus was drinking wine. We know he was eating and he was this. So I think the odds of his hair being as long as we portray it is probably not very good because he, he, he would have been a, a Jewish man who was, who was living out the Jewish males of that time. And unless you were a Nazarite, you probably didn't have long hair. Something to consider. Uh, but, but, I, but it doesn't matter. But anyway, so but, but really what Paul is talking about here is not the length of a man's hair. That's not what he's talking about. What he's really talking about here is what Scripture says is, I don't want a man ever presenting himself like a woman. That's what he's talking about. And I don't want a woman presenting herself as a man. Wow, Paul would be canceled immediately today, would he not? And so, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my God. But do you see how, how the culture is so counterculture? But if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy clearly says it is sinful for a man to dress as a woman. Now, some of you are going to say what I say next is legalistic and unnecessary and an abuse of grace, and you can certainly think that. You know, i got enough problems trying to walk out my sanctification by not putting questionable things in my life on purpose. 
But this is the reason why I don't, I don't participate in these womenless beauty pageants. Uh, I know everybody thinks that's funny, or we think it's funny for a man to dress up and walk around like he's a woman. But I'm telling you, Scripture says don't do that. That a man should not dress himself up as a woman. Uh, and, and, and so we laugh at that, and we think that's funny, and we think it's no big deal, but Scripture says do not do it. And, and, a, man, and a woman should never dress herself up and walk around like she's a man. Uh, and so that, that is forbidden in Scripture. And that, that is exactly what Paul is talking about when he says, do not confuse the genders. A man should walk around looking like a man, and a woman should walk around looking like a woman. And there's certainly a lot of very, very masculine, well-dressed men who wear their hair a little longer. Uh, you know, that, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is if you wear your hair and you, and you walk around trying to portray yourself as a woman, as a man, that is not something that God is pleased with. And the scriptures tell us that as clear as they can. Uh, so that, that is exactly what he's talking about. So let's unpack it a little more uh, now that we've gone through all these first scriptures on the, on the men and the women. So it, it's, it's taught that, that uh, all people, regardless of race or sex, are equal before the Creator. I want you to get that. And if you want a verse to be sure that we lock that down, write down Galatians 3.28. Okay? Um, now remember, the local church was perhaps the only fellowship in the entire Roman Empire that welcomed all people regardless of nationality, social status, sex, or economic position. This is one thing that you've got to be able to defend Scripture on. It was the, the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ, was the first place that women were given equality. The Roman Empire didn't give it to them. Uh, the Jewish tradition absolutely didn't give it to them. Do you realize in the synagogue that women couldn't do anything? You couldn't even start a synagogue unless you had ten men. You couldn't say, well, we got eight, 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 uh, eight men and two women. It had to be all men. And women were given no standing at all in the synagogue. Uh, matter of fact, they had to even enter by a different way and be in a different place. So this was, this was new. Some of the women flaunted the freedom, as we said in the public meetings, and this is what Paul said. Now, don't do that. You have been given freedom. You have been given equality, but don't abuse it. And uh, he did not pr forbid women to pray or prophesy. We talked about that. Remember, prophesying is not the, the same as preaching or expounding the word. A person with the gift of prophecy proclaimed God's message as it was given to, to him or her immediately by the Holy Spirit. Modern preachers today, if you're talking about a preacher versus that, you know, they sit down and prepare the messages. Someone who prophesies had a word from God from the Holy Spirit and they shared it. And of course, that had to be done with order. Now, the New Testament, let's just be clear, does not permit women to be elders. That is not permitted. I don't care who says it or whatever. The Bible forbids that. And you can you can put that down in, in 1 Timothy 3, 2. Women in the early church who had the gift of prophecy were allowed to exercise it. And they were allowed to do that public in church. But what he was saying is, but there's a way to do it, and the way you dress and the way you cover your head and all that, and the way you're under the authority of your husband, that has to be part of it. And uh, they, they, were, they, they could not usurp the authority over men. You see this in 1 Timothy. Write this down. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. And we're just talking about headship and authority. We're not talking about one is inferior to the other. That's not what Scripture's talking about. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Um, and also the women were not allowed to judge the message of other prophets and make a call on where they thought it was from, from God or not. They were not given that authority. You find that, in, we'll get to that in chapter, we're going to get to chapter 14. That'll be the next chapter that really upsets people because it's going to talk about the proper use of spiritual gifts. And some of you act like that chapter 14 isn't in the Bible. So uh, if they had any questions, 
and this is the way it was to be, if a woman had a question, she was not to just pop off in, in the congregation and interrupt whoever was teaching. She was supposed to go get that answer from her husband, meaning the husband was a spiritual leader of the house, but they're equal. I promise you, my wife knows the Bible as much, if in, in some areas, better than me. She's been used to teach me. I have certainly learned, but she, when she and I teach together, we, she does not present herself in a way that is inappropriate, even if she knows the answer. Uh, she, she, she will say, hey, you might want to mention this. And we work together as a team. When we teach, we teach together. She never gets up and teaches and places herself in authority over men. Now, that doesn't mean that women don't serve in the church in places of leadership, but there is a limit to where they are to serve in leadership just because of order. I know some of you may like it. You may not like it. My wife will say this herself. She said, I don't know why women just don't understand that we are certainly equal and we certainly can have even sometimes sinful influence over our husbands and we certainly can manipulate men. But when we're put in these positions of authority over men, they will patronize us and pretend it's the same, but it's not. A man will not follow a woman the way he'll follow a man. It's just not true. Uh, God did not create men to... to, to now, sometimes you have to do it and you pretend that it's okay, but even my wife said in our house, she said, I can tell when the males of this house crossed over to puberty. I certainly had a maternal influence over them. I certainly was respected by them, but I started noticing once they weren't little boys anymore that my voice had less and less influence over them. She didn't mean they don't love me. didn't mean they didn't respect me. It's almost like they got to where they couldn't hear my tone the way they could hear my husband's. So men and women are equal, but they are not the same. And, uh, and women should never be placed in authority. The, the, the Bible forbids for a woman to be the pastor of a church over grown men. I'm sorry. That is just not Scripture. Some of you will be upset about that, and I hope that you'll email Speedy. Uh, but anyway, that just isn't true. That is just not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. And, uh, and you can look at that uh, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Um, so if they had any questions, they were to ask their husbands uh, or they could ask other men and they were to do this outside the church meeting. They were not to, to take over a service by questioning the person who was teaching. That was not allowed uh, because that violated the order in the headship. Doesn't mean they're not right. Doesn't mean that they're not equal. It just wasn't done because of order in the church. Uh, now, Eastern society at the time was very jealous over its women, except, of course, for the temple prostitutes. Uh, so the temple prostitutes, as I told you, they're the ones that wore the short hair. They're the one that shaved their hair. They're the ones that didn't cover their hair. So I've already covered that, and we've got all that down. So God's order in the church was based on three fundamentals that Paul considered to be self-evident. Number one, you know what he said? He said in verses 3 through 7, redemption. There, there is a definite order of headship to the church. The father's head over Christ, Christ is head over man, and man is the head of the woman. Some interpret head to mean uh, its origin, but that would mean that uh, something that isn't true. Uh, so it's not that. It does mean headship. In his redemptive ministry, the son was subject to the father, even though he was equal to the father. I told you that, but I, don't want, to give you some, I want to give you some verses to go with that. John 10, 30 and John 14, 28. John 10, 30, John 14, 38. And so likewise, woman is subject to the man, even though to Christ she is equal to the man. Now, Rick, where do we find that she's equal to the man? Be sure we don't get this wrong. She's absolutely equal. Write these down. 1 Corinthians, back earlier, uh, chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28. Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. So again, 
We talked about this in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians 21 through 23, Galatians 3.28, Ephesians 5.21 through 33. Keep in mind that Paul is writing this about behavior inside the local assembly, not the world at large. Everybody with me on that? This is how we behave inside the local assembly. That doesn't mean that when we leave the church that, um, that men go out and, and, and start telling the world about all these things because the world doesn't know these things. The world doesn't abide by these things. This is talking about inside the local assembly. Uh, so, so the first thing is talking about redemption shows that men and women are equal, but there is an order. So remember that um, if, 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 in Jewish law, think about this too, another reason why women, I, I missed this one, the other reason why women were told to keep their hair uh, long and also to keep it covered in the church is that if you walked around with a really short haircut or shaved head in Jewish law, and you find this in Numbers 5, 11 through 31, in Jewish law, a woman who'd been proved guilty of adultery had her hair cut off. So you see how that could cause some misunderstandings in the culture? And we're not saying that this exact same thing should be done in the Western culture, in the Western church, but the principles should still be done. Dress appropriately. Dress modestly. Don't bring attention to your sexuality and your beauty or for men to yourself. We're supposed to be there to glorify God and not to distract other people. And we'll get into this when we get into spiritual gifts in 14. So the next thing that, uh, uh, that, that Scripture says, and the reason why Paul was, was talking about this, he said the reason why we, that we need to do it this way is because of creation. I hit some of that for you, and we did touch on that briefly, uh, and, and how the equality came, but, but, and, and we talked about the angels. Uh, so all that was covered in creation. Uh, the next thing he said is the reason why that this is what God has ordained is because of nature itself. This is verses 13 through 16. Uh, in a general way, it's true that nature gives women longer hair and men shorter hair. The Romans, the Greeks, and the Jews, except for the Nazarites, as I said, pretty much followed this custom. Uh, nowhere does the Bible tell us how long our hair should be. It simply states that there ought to be a noticeable difference between the length of a man's hair and a woman's hair, and there should never be any confusion about the two sexes. Women should not dress like men, and men should not present themselves as women. Women shouldn't present themselves as men. Men should not present themselves as women. That is forbidden in Scripture, and it certainly would cause confusion in the church. Um, and, um, and when he talks about that uh, 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 the long hair is our glory, and it's given to her instead of a covering. This is not saying that if you have long, beautiful hair, you didn't have to wear a covering then. He's really talking about what I said a minute ago. Don't let it be a distraction. Uh, so, so nature itself is the reason why that men and women are equal, uh, but, uh, but they are not the same. So does that, does I, hopefully that helps you understand what Paul is talking about here. He is not talking about inequality, but he is talking about order. And I think even in today. And the, and the gatherings that we've entered ourselves into, we need to, we need to take some of this and apply it uh, to the things that we see. I don't know why. I, I really don't. Um, I, I have I've wondered about this, uh, especially when there's men in the house, um, how some of you allow your daughters to come to church dressed. I, I, I mean, you're a man. I, I mean, if, you're, if your daughter's leaving the house and she's got a skirt up to her rear end and a low-cut dress, how, how does the man of the house let that go? I mean, 
I mean, you know if you're sending your daughter out looking that way, to really anywhere, but especially to church, you know that's going to be a distraction because if it was somebody, if it was another woman in the church, it would be a distraction to you. So Paul is very serious about this. This is something that goes unchecked a lot of times in churches. And I've had some pastors that are bold enough that have addressed it before, but there is an appropriate way that we should present ourselves when we go into the house of God. And this is not about if you wear a suit, you're more holy, and if you wear blue jeans and a shirt, you're less holy. And it's certainly not if you wear blue jeans and shirts, you're more holy than the stuffy old guy that wears a suit. It's not about any of that. It is funny how we, the casual dressers think that they're closer to God and the people who wear their suits think they're closer, and really it, it's not an indication to either one of them. But when it comes to some of the ways that we dress, and I've seen men the same thing, wearing really, really tight shirts in there, uh, having, they're having their uh, shirts unbuttoned, wearing really, really tight blue jeans. I mean, you see somebody up on the stage that's supposed to be singing, and their jeans are so tight, you can tell whether they're circumcised or not. You know, probably that's not the way to go. You know what I mean, and uh, and and so the, these these are things, these are things that should not be taking place in church. It should not be taking place in church, and uh, and and this this is what Paul is talking about. This is what Paul's talking about. All right, so um, and that there is an order between men and women uh, in the church. Remember, at the root of all this, it's a men's Bible study. Uh, all right, so. Um, so, so I, I don't know that I have time to get through the, the rest of it. So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, because the next thing we're going to talk about, and this is extremely serious, and we'll carry this over into next week, and, and that is, he says, the next thing I want to talk to you about is these feasts that we're having. You're going to hear Paul actually take on dinner on the grounds, for those of us that, that, that have been you know, a part of a, a church that did that. They were having, it was, it was common for them to get together and fellowship and eat together as a church. That was very common. He said, but now I see some behavior going on here uh, that is sinful. And then he says, and then the way that y'all are leaving this and now going to the end of the, the time together into taking the Lord's Supper, uh, or, or, you know, I know it's called communion in some churches and the Eucharist in other churches, and, and, but you know, the, whatever you call it, uh, this is when we sit down and remember what Christ did uh, and, and take these elements as he told us to and Paul said this is to be taken extremely serious, and he was noticing in the church of Corinth that it was losing its holiness. Uh, and he's going to talk about some of the things we should and should not do. So I hope that, um, that this is kind of clarified. There should be nothing controversial about there being order in the church involving men and women. And there should be nothing controversial about there are roles for men in the church and there are roles for women in the church. And in some roles in the church, it could be men or women. But, but this, this has nothing to do with inequality, but it does have to do with order. And, and I think if we, if we want God to, to be honored by our worship, what Paul is saying, if we want God to be honored by our worship, then our worship should be done the way he said to do it. And, and the way that the family should be set up should be set up the way he said to set it up. And what we need to understand, if we stand for the traditions, and, and again, we have to understand our sin nature. I love that. that. Probably for me, the takeaway from this the most is when the fall happened with human beings, men lost their God-given headship and women uh, uh, lost uh, their God-given submission to that headship. And so what's happened now is you have men who are, too, who, who are too weak to lead and you have women that try to usurp the authority of the man who's not actually fulfilling his, his leadership role at all. 
and it's just led to chaos. And, you know, if you could just get back to the point where we, we do it the way God intended to do it, and like Sherry said, understand the sin nature, but, but that doesn't mean we give in to it. You know, under the authority of Christ, and if, if, you, wanna, if you want that to work properly, you know, I, when Sherry and I did our, uh, you know, the, the premarital counseling that actually led to our redemption, uh, what the pastor told us, he said, you know, take a triangle, and Jesus is at the top of that triangle, and that's who's Lord over this house. And then you, Rick, and you, Sherry, down at the end of the triangle, y'all both pursue Christ. And then when you meet under the authority of Christ, that authority, it comes over both of you. But then Rick is given a spiritual leadership. Sherry is given the role, which my Sherry uh, has a great message on this for women, that is, that is a powerful role as the perfect helper, the perfect partner to man. See, this is one of the things that you're seeing in our society right now, and let's not be afraid to look at what Paul talked about today with men and women in the church. What, what happened is, and I heard a pastor do this the other day, and I appreciate a guy send this to me. He said, if you look at, at, the, at the creation, God creates a man, and then he said it's not good that, that, that this male is alone, and he searches all of creation, and he says, I will now make for him the perfect partner, which means it wasn't made yet, Okay. He didn't have it right. He already had a male. He already had animals. He already had creation. And he said, I don't have the partner for him yet. So I'm, I will now make the perfect partner for a male. And then he made woman. We'll see what's happened to our society now. And we do the same thing in, in the way in the order of the church. What our society and its sin nature says to God, well, I don't like this. Where's, what are my other choices? Well, you don't have any other choices. I've given for you her, and I've given to her you. Where's multiple choice? What are my other choices? There are no other choices. So do you believe that God did it right or not? And then Jesus comes back, and, and he keeps saying, as my father made them male and female, and he moves on. Paul says, male and female. Uh, the revelation says, you know, here, here, comes, here comes the, the bride, here, the, the marriage bed, and, and the writer of Hebrews never be defiled. But what we say to God, just like in church, is, well, here's how I want church done. You know what we say? Well, what's the other choices? Well, why can't we have a woman preacher? That's what we want. Uh, why, why, why can't, why can't uh, a woman just come in here or a man come in here? and Why can't they just switch roles, do what they want to do? Who, who says? God says, I said. Well, what's our other choices? I didn't give you any other choices. And so we keep telling God, we want multiple choice. But God says, no, this was the only option I gave you, and I want you to do it this way. And when we don't, we're defying him. But we want to live in a world of, you know, remember what the fall was. Don't forget the fall. What was this tree of knowledge? If the tree of knowledge had never been consumed, that was man and woman telling God, you did it right. And we don't question it. We believe you know what's right or wrong, and we'll do whatever you say. But Satan says, well, don't y'all want to determine what's right or wrong instead of him? That's what the eating of the tree was. Now Adam and Eve will decide what's right or wrong, as opposed to just trusting God to do it. And we continue to commit that sin over and over and over. And it's time to stop. It's time to repent of our sin, to submit to his authority, and say there's no more wonderful place for a male and female to find themselves than completely in the middle of God's will for them, equally but different. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for today. Thank you so much, uh, Lord, for this eye-opening word. And and I know that uh, even in this time that Paul, you know, there's been, I, I mean, I've heard people even refer to the Apostle Paul as a misogynist because he simply reminded the church of what you said. But, you know, when, when, when you came to us and we couldn't come to you and we repented of our sin and we come under your authority, you told us that the world would hate us because we belong to you. A fallen world always hates you. So if we belong to you, they're going to hate us too. So, Lord, I just pray that today maybe the, the, there was a better understanding of some of this that maybe we didn't have because the world tries to tell us what you're saying when I think it's probably better for us to listen to what you're saying from your own word. But it's, and I think that's the problem. I know it was the problem for me. I, I made up a lot of this stuff without ever checking with you. I let other people tell me what you might or might not have said as opposed to learning it myself and going to your own inspired word and then applying it to my own life. So forgive me for the many times that I've sinned against you in, in, in every area of life, including this. Help me to be the, the man of God that you called me to be. And thank you for the wife that you've given me uh, that continues to undergird me and help me and grow me spiritually as we both remain under your authority. And I pray for all these marriages that are just destroyed and disastrous because of the chaos. I pray for the disorder in the church uh, to be removed. And I pray for you to purge our church of anything that is not of you. And I pray, Lord, that if anybody here today needs, needs to, to look at their own life and say, I'm not redeemed, I'm not under his authority, that today would be the day that they would say, just, just as best they can in their heart, I repent of my sins. I repent of the sin of thinking that you don't know what you're talking about, Lord. I repent of the, the sin of self-reliance. I, I repent of the sin of creating my own standards. And today I submit totally to your authority. And I leave faith in me. And I place faith in you that you know what is right and wrong. So forgive me of my sins. And today I follow you and come under your authority. Lord, if anybody has made that decision today, I pray they would just reach out to me. Uh, Rick at BurgessMinistries.com. And if you, you want to talk to me, I'll talk with you. I'll walk with you. Thank you for the men that have attended today and those that are listening and watching all over the world. May your Holy Spirit rain down on all of us. And may your kingdom be advanced. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.